And now, coming to you from the grocery room, high above the shuttered for the holidays, Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strahan and Gary K. Wolf on the Hugo Award-winning Coot Street Podcast! And that's pretty much about all we wanted to say, folks. Thanks. Thanks. It was wonderful to have all the support. It was nice to be in D.C. Uh, and I'm still kind of stunned by this whole affair. I'm totally taken aback. I mean... It's not even one of those things where you go, oh, I never thought we'd win. It's like it didn't even really, I think, cross my mind as a realistic possibility. Um, I was, it didn't even feel real at the time. I mean, obviously, I wasn't there this year. I was here in Perth mm. watching on Zoom or something. And, but it felt very surreal and like, like, no, I like, oh, the Crude Street podcast. So I, did, no, I didn't even ask you this before, but you, you were able to watch it on Zoom. So you saw the Hugo Award ceremony. All right. I saw the Hugo Award ceremony that was very faithfully and well uh, sent out to the world. So thank you to everybody at Discon 3 for arranging that. I mean, I saw some of the behind the scenes tech they were using and those people were working hard and there was a lot of gear to get everything out to the world, not just the Hugos, but the whole convention. So I'm very grateful uh, for that. I was very impressed. Um, obviously, very grateful to all of the people who nominated the podcast. Obviously, those are our bestest friends. And mm -hmm. then, you know, to all of the people who voted for us who are equally almost our bestest friends, but, you know, also like other people, which was fine. And I guess it's... it's, it's, go, it's I'm sorry? I'd, I'd, I'd go beyond that and... and, and um thank all the people who voted for us over eight years, some of whom probably yes. repeatedly voted for us, but some of whom, some of our, some of the people who voted for us the first time could actually be dead now. Oh, no, don't say that. That's okay, a terrible they probably, are. they probably aren't. All right. But people have, eight-year-old children have been, there, there are children in fourth grade who were born after this podcast. There are people moving into high school who were born almost after this podcast began. It is coming up on the, we're, we're coming up to finishing 12 years. Next mm -hmm. May will be the beginning of the 13th year of the Cood Street podcast, which suddenly sounds really ominous. Um, at this point, I don't think we need to worry about superstition. Um, but I do, I, I, I share, by the way, one, one more comment about the Hugo ceremony. There, 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 there's a lot of postmortems about the con in general. But the Hugo ceremony, including the acceptance speeches, including mm. the presenters, the, 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 the uh, MCs, uh, Sheree Renee Thomas and Andrea Hairston, seemed to be the most professional I've seen. It went they like clockwork great. from being in the yeah. audience. And a definite shout out to both of them, friends of the podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they were great. The whole thing was great and pretty quick. I mean, I've seen two hosts rattle through an award ceremony before. Uh, most notably John Douglas and the late David Hartwell, who could whip through a World Fantasy Award ceremony basically between you know, drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was thoughtful, and it was really well done. Um, it was enjoyable to watch. It wasn't too long. It didn't drag. I haven't held one in my hands, but I was a bit knocked out by the, the, the Hugo itself, which looks to be enormously heavy. And I can't wait to see that. It's at least 20 pounds of solid marble. We've been looking around in my apartment here. God knows when these things will show up in the mail. Nobody in their right mind would take one of these things to an airport or even close to an airport. But none of the shelves, the shelves I have a few other awards on are, are glass shelves. Wouldn't hold it. And they aren't, they would no, never hold this. And the thing is, what, two feet tall or something? It's a, I mean, one of the things that if we're going to go get a Hugo, and as as beautiful as some of the recent Hugos have been, 
And I'm secretly pleased that this one just looks like a rocket ship. It looks like a classic Hugo. That's nice. I mean, I will always have a fond spot for the 2008 Hugo that was awarded Which, in Denver. It was the first Hugo I coveted. And it was one where uh-huh. the, um, the artist had used a bit of blasted geode to make a, a, a surface it was taking off from. And it was quite uh-huh. beautiful. And some of them have been. There's a Canadian Hugo that was stunningly pretty as well that had like little maple leaves laid into a rocket plume and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm very glad I didn't win the one where it was about four and a half feet tall because there was a rocket, th- was a rocket plume base they built that was seriously about two feet, two and a half feet tall all by itself. So the Hugo was just enormously tall. And, you know, you'd be sitting there going, eh, pretty, but where are you going to put it? So, you know, gratitude, not just gratitude for the Hugo, but I have to say we put out, what, about 130 episodes or so in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, we I'm were doing very, daily episodes. As I recall, we did one a day for over 100 days. That's right. I think we, got a, I think we were somewhere around 110 one-day episodes, 10-minute uh, episodes. Mm. And so to everybody who appeared on those to everybody who appeared on the other episodes. I'm very, very grateful and want to sort of give our sincere thanks to everyone. It was generous of them to make their time to appear on our, our, our humble podcast. They made it interesting. And I think, you know, it is an interesting historical document now to have those sitting there as a thing for 2021, the year when 2020 just kept on going and going and going. One of the things that somebody did ask me, and more than one person has asked me, uh, is was about the older episodes and we should let people know that they're pretty much all the way back to the beginning. Every episode is first, available. First 10 or so were on a different server or something. So. Yeah, but I mean, they're all linked up so you can get to them all. Okay. So you can get to them all. Do you have any memories of the last 10 years of what you would consider a highlight of the podcast? Well, highlights of the podcast include, of course, just to frustrate everyone who's listening the Great Lost <laughs> episodes. Well, I was going to ask you about the Great Frustrations, but now you've now you've listed our greatest failure as a highlight. This is not the way to go forward. But well, I'll tell you what. Story. I, I, you're, you're, I, I think that the the convention where I recorded all of the podcasts on an iPad and then lost it due to a upgrade on the on the on the device was technically terrible, but the conversations were great. You know, it was a conversation with Ellen Clagis and Howard Waldrop about writing short fiction. Mm-hmm. And whether or not our listeners got to listen to them, which I wish they had, we were in the room. You know, you and I were in the room. Mm-hmm. So I mean, my fondest uh, memories of the podcast are at the very beginning when we were just working it out. And it was just us. I've got mm-hmm. very fond memories of being in London and doing the uh, 200th episode, I think it was, with uh, Bob Silverberg and Joe Walton. Um mm-hmm. Very, very fond memories of the Art of Short Fiction episode we did live with Michael Swanwick and Kitch Johnson. Uh, just, yeah. And, and I think probably this is a, a thing that's different experientially for someone who's listening to it as opposed to recording it. Just the constancy, which of course is cost what cost our families, but the constancy of the conversation has been a pleasure and a joy to just reliably have that part of your life where you're, you're, we're doing this. So, yeah. I think one of the things that was clever uh, about our 10-minute episodes, which were very seldom only 10 minutes, yeah. but I th- I mean, we have to be, we have to be, uh, we have to own the fact that the podcast is basically 
you and me. And I think the reason we got away with the 10-minute episodes is we'll be talking to really interesting people. I was talking to Eliza Greenblatt at, at, at Worldcon, in fact, about this. And we have a conversation going, and we would cut it off before they realized that the other one of us wasn't there. So <laughs> yeah. But there, there, there were wonderful uh, conversations we had. You're right. There's some that lost. I had a uh, I, I, I myself blew a podcast with Kat Valenti and Kids Johnson, which I recorded yes. at Kansas a couple of years ago in a bizarre recording thing, which not yes. even a recording engineer. Everything came out at one sixteenth speed and couldn't be sped up. Yes. Um, so, and so either you sounded it was so it was all so we've 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 really we've really never learned how to do this at all, technically, have we? No, what, basically what's happened, and this happens in other areas, what you get credit for is somebody else builds something that makes it easier for you to get past what you were screwing up. So oh, that's true. When it was you and I on Skype, uh, then it was entirely up to my non-existent technical skills. Now we use Zencaster, and a shout-out to them. They're, they're useful. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes it e easier, and we get a better result from that, which is good. But that's not our genius. That's just their tech. And I remember one... Well, frankly, quite unkind person who said we should stop doing the podcast if we couldn't ma master the audio tech. But wow. it stayed fun, you know. It stayed fun despite that lack of mastery, and despite well, our almost obtuse unwillingness to prepare for episodes. Although sometimes we have. One time we spent we spent weeks uh, preparing for the episode in which we invited Ursula Le Guin to talk about Margaret yes. Atwood's book about science fiction. And two things about that: one, I mean, we had to get a copy of the book to Ursula; she had to read it. Um, and that was one where, as I recall, we simply had to call her on her landline. Yes, uh, this was many years ago. But essentially, to some extent, the quality of the podcast is determined by who we're talking to and where they're talking. Yes. Um, so, uh, and, and, and some older writers simply didn't want to bother with the technology, and we ended up... I, I, recently, on driving back from uh, Ohio, I listened to that podcast with Le Guin. It sounds... You know, by modern standards, a little muddy, but it's perfectly understandable. And you're also listening to Ursula Le Guin, which makes up for a lot. Well, that's it as well. I mean, you talk about highlights. I mean, I still regret that because of a glitch in timing and me not paying attention to scheduling properly, I was not in present for the conversation with uh, Chip Delaney. Mm -hmm. right? But the conversation with Ursula was a delight. And in fact, you, know, you talk about fond memories, you bring that up. Two fond memories would have to be just talking to Ursula, someone who I didn't meet face-to-face, -face, uh, and the lengthy conversation we had with William Gibson after the end of the podcast. Right. That day that we recorded, which was just a, a real pleasure. And you know, it's that pleasure of talking to people um, from all around the world uh, about something we share an interest in where hopefully everyone's bringing a bit of an open mind to it. I think we've managed, without getting too self-congratulatory, to be fairly inquisitive and open-minded about the field we're in still. We spoke in the last year to a whole bunch of people we'd never spoken to, and I'm really glad that we did. Mm -hmm. You know, from whether it was uh, Agata Chavwe, Donald Ekpeki, you know, from Nigeria, whether it was, you know, talking to Saad Hussain, whether it was talking to Indradas, whether it was talking to anybody from any, around the world, it was just nice to broaden perspective, our, our perspective. And it'll be and interesting to see how we keep doing that up against technical, frankly, and language barriers. I mean, I would like to talk to more Chinese science fiction writers, particularly leading up to the Chinese Rock On. Mm -hmm. Language may be a barrier there, I think. Uh, but, you know, as much as possible, it's, it's good to, to sort of feel like the podcast is still connecting with what's happening in the field. 
Well, I think you're right. And, and one of the other uh, issues, which is something that is of no interest to anybody who doesn't have to schedule these, is that we have a, right now a 14-hour time difference just between you and me. And if we try to factor in China or Europe or England or, or, or whatever, uh, it complicates things more. Uh, the, tech, the tech end, I'm less worried about. I did one of the short podcasts last year with Shin Shofan or Stanley Chan. Yeah. And his, his tech way out, outpaced anything you or I have. Of course. That's fine. But, but I think that, uh, in, in answer to your question, I think one of the things that's become exciting about the podcast is that we have uh, had a chance to talk to grand, grand masters of the field. For example, you, you mentioned Silverberg, who's been on more than one, both of them live, obviously. And we've talked to, uh, but, but the field itself keeps expanding. So every year there are more people that you want to talk to. Yeah. Um, and there are people who uh, almost become regulars on the podcast, and sometimes it's just because they're fun to talk to, and sometimes it's because they just write a lot. Well, I think so. so. When you've been podcasting for 12 years, they mm -hmm. seem to sort of – there are people it feels like they, 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 they phased in and out, and some may phase back again, I hope. But, I mean, like there was a period mm -hmm. of time we talked to Kids Johnson quite often, and we haven't as much lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an interesting thing to look back on, how that's changed. And I think uh, it, 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 it continues to evolve. I think one of the things that uh, we've, I don't know how often we've talked to Lavi Tidar, but he begins to feel like a regular, partly because he has had two novels out last year. Yeah. And he's yeah. got, so, so, so that has something. But on the other hand, I think the other thing we've avoided more or less is a book of the month or book of the week podcast. In other words, we, we like to talk to people when they have new material coming out. But that's not a requirement, uh, and it never has been. No. And I think that um, when you have a conversation, one of the conversations, speaking of Silverberg, uh, we had a conversation between uh, Kelly Robson and Walter John Williams uh, yeah. at, at one point. And it's, it's fascinating to hear uh, two people who are clearly admirers of each other's work, one entering the field uh, in the last few years, and the other a longtime veteran of both science fiction and fantasy and historical. And that kind of generational dialogue uh, doesn't go on uh, publicly. It doesn't go on in cons as much as it could. I think. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is a sense you hear, you hear rumors, you hear complaints, you see tweets and Facebook posts about young people only want to talk to young people and old people only want to talk to old people. And I don't believe that's true. No, no. People want to talk to people. And look, there's some people maybe they're not eager to talk to for whatever reason. But I've got to be honest, that's not something I think you or I have ever come across very much. Uh, um. I'm trying to think, if, if I could think of a disastrously bad uh, guest on the podcast, I wouldn't name it, no, no, who I wouldn't that person it. was, but I can't, actually can't think one. I can't, I can't think of somebody who was such a disappointment that we had to say, do we really want to put this podcast out? It, it might cause you know, the end of the world or something. Uh, by and large, people in this field are articulate and thoughtful. Well, this is yes, one of the reasons. Yes. I, one of the reasons we started talking to them on the podcast. Well, I think that when you look back at it, right, I can't think of anybody who I wouldn't happily talk to again in a minute. Mm -hmm. And generally, to people, I can't think of anyone where it's been felt like you've had to drag a conversation out of them, mm -hmm. uh, which is, which helps. It's a little bit awkward when you kind of go long question. They go yes. That's always a bit. And that's for, whether they were easy or nice or pleasant. Everybody, everybody. I mean, some people stand out in my memory, and again, I probably wouldn't name them particularly because it feels that it's unfair, as being particularly delightful to talk to. You know, I have more of that kind of, 
you know, like, wow, you know, sort of. Um, well, one of, one of the things that I'm sure people who, who do podcasts are aware that this happens, but you mentioned the, uh, the, the William Gibson podcast. A lot of the really interesting conversation that we get into will go on for a half hour or 45 sure, minutes or sure, an hour sure, sure. After, after we stop recording. And that's partly because we have to stop somewhere, but partly because sometimes you do get into personal issues or you get into issues of personalities yeah, yeah, yeah. or things that, you know, things that people didn't want to talk about on the podcast, but the issue comes up and they want to talk about it anyway. And so, the, so I feel like the podcast is, uh, especially during the past year when we were doing those 10 minute episodes and, and two or three people came up to me and, um, and in DC and, and said that that was a connection. That's, that's, that's the closest thing we had to a bar we could go hang out at um, yeah. for, for that summer, the summer of, of 2020. And, uh, it felt like that to me, and I'm glad it felt like that to a few other people as well. Yeah, well, the 2020 10 minutes with things were curious because you know everybody was available, everybody was locked in at home, no matter where yeah. you were. It was a rare period for he, for me here in Perth where we were locked in for a chunk of it. Mostly we weren't or haven't been. Um, and so it was easy to focus on them. It felt like a very natural thing to do once we got into the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. And... It's, I have to be careful how I put this because I don't mean it quite the way it sounds, but it was a time because you and I did it separately, it made the time zones easier to manage around the world. I think that mm -hmm. was true. I mean, it's always interesting. I mean, it's not something that's visible to listeners, but we have to talk to people. Like when you're talking to the UK, there's like a little tiny kind of window on their middle of their afternoon when you and I are both up at opposite parts of the right. world trying to triangulate our time zones. And depending on where someone is, it gets better or worse. So... You know, it's good to have, you know, sort of to have a few times when you can just go, let's do this when it's easy and have it worked out. I mean, I particularly look back fondly on the conversations I had with Simon Ings and John Berline, mm -hmm. who are both fantastic fun to talk to uh, for the, the podcast series. You know, and there is this little part of me that goes, would I do it again? I'm like, maybe, maybe I would. I think we should do. Well, the thing is, did you have this sense though? Because I had the sense with a number of the people you mentioned. I had that sense when I talked to Liz Williams in Glastonbury, uh, a little bit when I talked to Todd A. Thompson. That uh, you you haven't met these people. You're meeting them kind of like being yeah, at a con. Yeah, yeah. You're chatting for ten minutes, and there's a sense of really wanting to go on with that conversation and wanting to find out more about them and so forth. And uh, I, I think that. Uh, it felt like uh, during a year when we weren't able to meet new people, I felt like I was meeting a lot of new people yeah. um, and, uh, and having a lot of interesting conversations. I mean, uh, Liz and I ended up having a conversation about John Cooper Poas, who's a writer that probably mm -hmm. nobody else even knows about anymore, uh, because he wrote a book called A Glastonbury Romance and she lives there and so forth and so on. But yeah, the, the, the connections uh, felt like, Felt a little bit like a con, uh, yeah. and having just gone to the first con, uh, first world con, the first large con I've been to uh, since 2019, uh, I recognize those interactions—the kind of interactions where somebody is sitting in the bar, although this hotel did not actually have a bar, which should have disqualified it from any science fiction commission or whatever. But that's another matter. You're sitting in a bar, or you're sitting in a, a restaurant, and this has happened to me more than once. You have breakfast and then somebody gets up later and they join you at breakfast and then it's lunch. And you're talking to people in 10, 20 minute, 30 minute segments for hours. Yeah. Um, I've certainly been, and, been at a four hour long breakfast 
where yeah, I exactly. had breakfast for 20 minutes and then I sort of sipped coffee and talked to people having general, you know, who, who flowed through having their breakfast for the next three hours or something. Mm-hmm. You know, when a convention is good, that's what it does. And that kind of constancy of, of conversation was a thing that we had. I mean, certainly what I found was, I don't know what it was like to, to have the podcasts come out, but to be involved in them every day felt a really kind of like focusing, occupying thing to do. Well, I mean, and, and, and you actually, well, you were working from home, even though you had a job. I didn't yeah, even yeah, have yeah. a job. And it, it, it felt to me like it was, it felt like being at a con in that every day I had to do something. There was, or not every day, but, you know, you and I each would record three or four a week. Yeah. Uh, so it, it had that odd feeling of like, I have a panel to be on at two o'clock. And it had much more of that feeling than the actual virtual panels, the Zoom panels. Um, I was on a couple of Zoom panels at, uh, at Discon. Very odd panels where you go to the room where the panel is listed and get sent back to your hotel room to yeah, log weird. into your computer because that room where the panel is listed is actually only a viewing room for people who, I guess, don't have their own computers there and want to watch it on yep. a big screen or whatever. Nevertheless, um, the, the idea of... Uh, I've completely forgotten the point of that sentence. <laughs> that, that's the most crude street thing you've done all, all, all morning. It's, it's also the most Worldcon thing I've done all morning, probably. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, audio conversations um, with one or two people strike me as being more like conversations than these stilted Zoom mosaics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I, I, think uh, I, I did not get tired of talking to people on the podcast or talking to people on Zencaster at all. When I logged into my one uh, Zoom panel at Discon, I thought, I am so over Zoom. I mean, it's not Zoom's fault, <laughs> but, you know, I'm... Yeah, I think a lot I'm of people Zoom. are. Now, there's one thing, there's a couple of things we should do. I, I want to talk about what, what comes next in a minute. But I realize that in thanking everybody uh, for voting for us, for nominating, for supporting mm-hmm. you for the podcast, for listening, for hating it, for whatever else... We didn't acknowledge our fellow nominees, the no. uh, the hosts, the presenters, the producers of Be the Serpent, of Claire Rousseau's YouTube channel, Kalinati, the Skiffy and Fanti show, and World Building for Masochists. I know a number of the people involved in them, particularly behind the Skiffy and Fanti show, fantasy show, who I yeah, met I was talking to in um, talking Dublin last year, I think, or the year before last. So congratulations to all, all of our fellow nominees as well. It was an honor to be nominated with you, and we look forward to be nominated with you again someday. I would be unsurprised to see any of them you know, win the award. They're fine podcasts. The other, I, I agree, and I was on a, a, a panel. Uh, we were in more than one time together. So the Skiffy and Panty Show is one that's uh, a deserving uh, podcast. We hope people will, will support that. The other small group of people I, I'd like to sort of go back, and, and even though we did not win a Hugo eight years ago or six years ago or whatever it was, but there were times early in the podcast when you and I both got encouragement from people who thought we were doing a good job. Sure, yes. And it kind of kept us going. And the one, the one person who just really seemed to think we were doing something worthwhile when even you and I didn't know it was probably Paul Cornell. I would agree. Who had his own terrific podcast, yes. which won the best podcast for two or three or four years. Uh, but but the early response from people like Paul really, uh, I think, kind of kept us going and, and, and maybe kept us learning how to improve this. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, my own feeling was, I mean, I, I, was that I was always very grateful and flattered that, that uh, 
Paul thought that the, the podcast had merit and that some that other people did. It was always a pleasure to be considered in the same conversation as them. I will mm-hmm. be honest, for me, the thing that kept me going wasn't any of that, to oh. be honest. Didn't keep me going at all. Winning this, this Hugo, which I'm delighted about, doesn't keep me going. What keeps me going is the conversation. Well, uh, here's the, the odd thing. I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Well, go, no, finish your thought. Finish your say, thought. The thing that became clearest to me on winning a Hugo at Washington, D.C. was I was delighted to win, but I'd never set out to try. The podcast was done for, is, is done for its own sake and it's been a pleasure for its own sake, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and, and that was, as, yeah. as we pointed out, uh, I, I don't know. I don't actually know what I said during that acceptance because I didn't have anything prepared. Thank God you had written something. Um, but um, I guess the thing that, the thing that, uh, strikes me as being most important is that uh, you and I were having these conversations. We had them for maybe yeah. maybe not even a year, but at least many months before uh, you had the idea of, of yeah. beginning to record them. Uh, so so the idea of, and, and as I think we've mentioned before on the podcast, you and I individually were having conversations like this with Charles Brown uh, yeah, over the years. For years, I called Charles every weekend and talk, spoke every weekend. It was exactly the same kind of thing here. So, so yeah, to some extent, it was a conversation between two good friends who like each other, which I think is a is a plus. And uh, and by and large, I don't think either of us. Uh, I think we were shocked to win a Hugo, but I was not nearly as shocked as when eight years ago we found out we'd been nominated for one. Yes, because at that point, at that point, I don't. At that point, I thought I could count on the fingers of both hands all of our listeners. And half of those were family members who had only listened once to find out how totally uninteresting it is to family members who have no interest in science fiction. So I, I, I know lots of, I had lots of academic colleagues who had listened to the podcast or who basically would say, pat me on the head. That's nice. That's a cute podcast. I'm glad you have a podcast to go home now. Um, well, certainly. Then, the, yeah. Sorry. No, finish, finish. No, as delighted as I, I am to win, and I would hate anyone to think I'm not. I was delighted. But if you want to ask me, like the best feeling moment in my Hugo experience, hmm. it was the first nomination in 2008, where I got this email saying you've been nominated for a Hugo award, and I could not believe it. I couldn't. I couldn't believe I mean, it. Was that no? your first nomination ever? The 2008 Best Editor Short Form was okay. the first nomination I ever got. And I remember just looking at this email in disbelief, going like, would, did, would I accept this nomination? Um, and it's never not been a thrill, but that, that was a particular kind of like first time standout sort of moment. And- I think there's a, yeah, the, 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 the sort of deer in the headlights moment of being noticed. I, found, I, I was nominated for Best Related Work probably, I don't know, maybe even before 2008. I'm not sure. But it, it, Charles Brown was at the uh, International Conference on the Fantastic, and he had received an email from the Hugo administrators asking for my email address. Um, and in, in Charles's usual, of course, spoiling surprise attitude of his, he said, you need to go up to my room and look at the email. And so I went up to the room and looked at the email, and it was from the... And it was not the email to me announcing that I was going to be nominated for a Hugo. It was an email to Locus Magazine saying, do you have an email address for Gary K. Wolf? And the only, the only reason for that was so, so basically I knew before I got the official email. Back in 2006. Uh, 2006, okay. And that, that was Charles thoroughly enjoying spoiling my fun. But on the other hand, I'm glad because I went around the convention 
not being able to say anything. And as people who have been nominated for Hugo's are well aware, there's this period of time in which you are told, please don't tell anybody about the nomination until the, yeah. and then, and then, and, and then, and then you always tell somebody. You tell you tell your cat. You know. It occurs to me we've got someone we probably should thank. In fact, two groups of people. They're related in a way. Uh-huh. There's the Hugo administrators who would not tell us and would obviously have known. Mm-hmm. But maybe a special thank you to Liza Trombi at Locus because consider this: based on my experience, Locus has sent the nominations first so that they can proof and check them, and they uh-huh. sent a list of the winners in advance so they can get them ready to lay into the magazine and publish on the website. So I'm oh. assuming, I don't know, I'm assuming that happened this year and Liza was kind enough not to tell us. I, if that's the case, I, I agree. And there was a um, case a few years ago when uh, I, I, I received a world fantasy award and I asked Liza and Charles if they knew and they swore they didn't, but I think you're right. The Hugos are different. The Hugos. So yeah. I, I, I appreciate people who want to know in advance. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, the, the the other thing, the other thing which I want to thank um, for possibly even helping us win this year was um, the entire COVID virus because that gave us a six month voting period, and, 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 and people with poor memories or people who who were, who were lethargic or people who normally don't vote or people who thought they might have voted, they, they there were six months for more votes to come in, so. Um, uh, that I don't know if that helped us or, or, or hurt us, but at any rate. Given that this is supposed to be a short episode in inverted commas, we probably uh, yes, should yes. begin to move towards conclusion or we will certainly run as long as we normally would. No, this yeah. is simply to say thank you to everybody. And as a special thank you, you don't have to listen to us for an hour. That's true, exactly. I mean, I would just like to very, well, hopefully quickly say, I think there's going to be cool things from the Lakut Street podcast in 2022. We expect to be back having a Books We're Looking Forward to roundtable with mm-hmm. Ian Bond, James Bradley, and Alex Harrow in January. We will do our at least our 26 episodes of the year, and we have a few other, episodes, a few other ideas that we may, we, we may get around to as well. We may offer a few, not one a day, but we've talked about this, a few more of the one-on-one 10-minute episodes with lots of different yeah. people because they're just fun. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if I get locked in again, you can bet we are. I don't mm-hmm. think we will, but if we do, so. But we'll see. Um, but for the but for now, though, first of all, to our listeners, thank you again, and I certainly wish you, and I think Gary will, uh, a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season. And I look forward to being back here in 2022. As do I. And until we come back, this has been the Good Street Podcast with a Hugo. To Hugo. <laughs> Hugo, go, go. <laughs>